Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of the Equinox podcast. I'm here with our guest, Vicious. Vicious, why don't you tell the people that maybe don't know who you are a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Jeremy Lopez. I go by the handle Vicious, and I'm about to sneeze, but I'm really trying to hold it back. My allergies have been killing me all day today. I'm not sick. It's just allergies. Um, I do commentary for the fighting game community for uh, two games right now, Street Fighter V mainly and Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Um, I am also uh, involved with a lot of other projects for esports. Um, I host a monthly Shadowverse show um, for Psy Games, uh, as well as Temple Storm. Uh, and these last couple of years, I've also hosted uh, events for uh, Red Bull's esports division. They've had numerous like tournament circuits for fighting games as well. So I do hosting work for that. So uh, other than like the professional side of things, I'm just another dude who likes to play games. And it's the best time to play games, especially right now with all the quarantine stuff. going. So uh, that's me in a nutshell, essentially. But of course, we have uh, plenty more questions to really unravel the mystery that is the, the bald brain, right? That's why I'm yeah. calling myself lately, because it's AC Steve. That's, I love it, honestly. <laughs> I love it. Um. So, it is definitely a great time to play games right now, especially with everything that's coming out. But why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started, and specifically fighting games, and then later on, um, how, uh, how you got into commentary? Oh, with fighting games, it was, um, it, it just happened naturally. Um, my first ever fighting game when I was a kid was from the Super Nintendo. I had Street Fighter II. My brother and I uh, would play that a good amount. Uh, I guess that's where my competitive drive came from as well. Because he would beat me to to no man's land every single time. Um, fast forward, high school. Uh, I got into Third Strike because of Evil Moment 37. Uh, instead of doing my homework in one of my computer classes, I would look up stuff on YouTube. Uh, I would watch the greats from SoCal, like Tyro Lee, play like Yun. Uh, eventually, I dabbled on watching high-level play Super Battle Opera or Togeki, watching the final, or, excuse me, the Family Fun Arcade Ranbats also. And it was just like, yo, I, I want to play like these guys, you know? Like, that was like my first time. I was like, oh, shh. I, I want to be good enough to compete in Japan. That's where, like, it really sparked um, initially. But of course, in that era, it was like, what, Third Strike, CDS2, Marvel 2. So I dabbled in all games. Um, but I was still too young to, like, compete because I couldn't drive at that time. Um, Fast forward again, a lot of fast uh, forwarding today. Uh, 2009, Street Fighter 4 came out, and I was like, yo, this is actually the moment for my dreams to come true, to actually try and, try and compete in Japan for, like, Super Battle Opera, or just compete in general, like, at EVO. Um, so I did that for a very, very long time, um, and... That just stuck with me. I tried to be a pro as much as possible, but you know the the talent pool was so concentrated in Street Fighter Four. There were so many killers in that game, um, and eventually, like when it came to uh, the later years of Street Fighter Four, I started dabbling in toing, uh, and that's when I started getting into commentary as well because I worked at a place uh, called Ultimate Gaming Center. Um, they were a brand new like gaming place. They were in need of people to help run the shop and they were looking for people who knew how to run tournaments for any game really 
but I told him, it's like, hey, um, I can do pretty much any game you want me to, but I can also do fighting games primarily and attract a bunch of people by Um And so I did. And with that, I had to like run the tournament, run the stream, run the shop as an employee, <laughs> um, and also try to compete on certain days. So that's actually where I started doing commentary, right? I actually sat down at the desk and wait for certain matches when I can because no one would want to get on the mic. And um, I guess that's where I got like a knack for uh, talking about some of the matches. Uh, I've only done it like, I know Wednesday Night Fights was the place to be. I've only done that like a handful of times. I still remember one of my biggest failures in commentary was with Air <laughs> for Street Fighter 4. Um, I wasn't paying attention to what he was saying. Um, and we were just like filling in for like matches as people were queuing up or whatever. And then Mondo, the stream hand at the time, the guy organizing the whole thing, he was like, all right, I'm going to run an ad, but I didn't hear him. And then Eris is like, all right, amigo, I'm going to let you take this one. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. And they just played the ad, like the slide, and I was just sitting there. And Eris was like, all right, you failed. Get out of here. <laughs> you really blew that one, amigo. I was like... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it wasn't like big. It was just like Wednesday night fights, right? But right. at the same time, it was like, thanks, Eris. Uh, I want to go back to playing now. <laughs> but um, the real uh, transition from trying to become a pro into commentary was when Street Fighter V came out. Um, at that time, what it was like 2016 of February, I, I, I graduated in 2015, got a full-time job, and there was no way in hell I was going to be practicing eight hours a day. But I still like talking about Street Fighter. Um, I, I obviously found a knack for it um, with Street Fighter IV. I understood the mechanics way better than I used to, and I felt comfortable about talking about it. And, and it's always fun to talk to um players in your area about a brand new street fighter right like trying to come up with like the coolest tech trying to see which character is broken and just talking about like theory crafting matchups you know that's like the best part it's the honeymoon phase of a fighting game and you know i i just liked doing it a lot and at the time i moved down to um further further southern california towards like the beach uh like the guna while i was working and the only person I actually hung out with was uh, Sejam. <laughs> so I think at this point, Sejam is another um, well-known fighting game commentator. Uh, I think one of the most prolific ones, uh, if I do say so myself, uh, really changing the game up for commentary. Um, he was the only person I got to hang out with in uh, Orange County. And it was like, uh, we, we played a lot of games, um, and eventually he kind of talked me into doing commentary really like i would dabble in it a little bit He's like dude why don't you just do that more often why don't you stop being a bitch and like get on the mics <laughs> we talk to each other like that right oh um, yeah i mean that's friendly band. <laughs> yeah uh so that's pretty much how it started uh i i would take notes from how he would uh uh do commentary i would take notes from other people like tasty steve as well tasty steve been my boy since my 21st birthday Really, uh, Ultra David's a good friend of mine as well, and James Chen. Those four were the ones that really put me onto commentary at this point and have given me so much advice over the years and has led me to where I'm at now, honestly, being able to take that skill set of public talking or public speaking and moving it over to uh, like hosting work, even getting on this podcast and not sounding like a complete idiot. So I at least know how to formulate some sentences pretty well <laughs> <laughs> and at least get from point A to point B. 
Hey, man, that's good. I think right now we're all kind of going crazy inside. So, oh, yeah. Stringing words together in a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, one thing that you said I think is so important to the esports culture how you said, like, oh, I want to play these top players, I want to be good enough to challenge them. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something that really draws a lot of people to esports because anyone can hit that top level if they're willing to put in the amount of time and effort to practice and get better. That mm. doesn't really happen in normal sports. In normal sports, right. you probably need like natural height or natural athleticism or some other oh. form of natural advantage over other people. Whereas esports, you can literally be anybody and make it up to that top level of competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no uh, physical limitations or like disadvantages when it comes to uh, playing esports. I feel like um, I would say I wouldn't necessarily say it that way. I think the the barrier to entry is significantly lower. That's what I'm going to say. These barrier to entry for playing certain games is have a uh, have like working hardware. I guess is the best thing, and maybe decent internet to some extent but nowadays certain net code is is (laughs) better than some better some are better than but um that's a conversation for a different um yeah you think about like sports there's it's it's tough to break out into the professional uh world of sports really no matter what it is you you could work so hard and never make it to the big leagues also because of certain limitations um Unless your work ethic is through the roof, but even then, there's still a significant chance that you're not going to make it. If you're not a certain stature, height, build, you know, so it kind of sucks. But um, the beauty about esports is that, again, you mentioned it earlier, anybody can do it. Uh, so long as you like put your mind to it, anybody can be a professional. Um, and there's just so many resources nowadays. When it comes to like uh, the transition of esports and the amount of pro players and just players in general, it, I feel like it's getting larger and larger exponentially because there's so much more to to look up when it comes to doing the research and figuring out how to become a pro player. Uh, it's definitely evident when it comes to fighting games as well. There's so many more players out there that are up and coming stars and are um, doing really well for themselves in the pro tours because there's so much footage out there to study from. Even if it's not like historical matches from Street Fighter 4, learning footsies and fundamentals of Street Fighter, blah, blah, blah. You could find matches from uh for example street fighter you could find matches on cfn from players internationally and see what the top players are doing and study that footage for almost free 99 right even more so like say league of legends right league of legends actually free to play you could study how maybe like faker plays or double lift plays uh in different lanes just by sitting there studying and taking notes like that's pretty good that's uh the amount of resources is uh astounding when it comes to how it was back then and what it is till now like when you would try to find any sort of tips on how to play certain games you would have to go to like their respective forum really dabble and there's some there's tons of toxicity trust me i i know i'm sounding like a boomer but yeah it's um there's there's just an abundance of resources now that there's really um no excuses on uh trying to get good it's all up to the person's individual willpower now so I think that's what's uh, super great about esports is that the barrier entry entry to is just so low. Right, and that's something I'm 
unfortunately not old enough to have been able to play during the arcade days, but you hear so many people talk about how each different location had a different meta for each game. Like SoCal had a different meta than NorCal, and the mm-hmm. East Coast had a different meta because they couldn't interact. Nowadays, through mm-hmm. the internet and through tournaments that happen all over the world, that is much more condensed and because people are interacting so much. I think it's I think it's really interesting how much better players are because they're able to have that worldwide connection. Absolutely. Yeah, you're just you're just really expanding your um uh the challenges, the challenge pool, I guess, the talent pool by you know, being able to play across different regions with different play styles. I know that was very much so evident in Street Fighter 4 where West Coast was dominated by Balrogs. Um East Coast had like Rufus with Justin, or like Shotos and, and Rufus with Justin and guys like Sanford. A lot of people playing Shotos. Actually, damn, East Coast was so diverse back then. They were so good. They were so damn good. But yeah, that was a just a small example how West Coast was like RTSD, rush that stuff down style with like ball for the most part. But yeah, man, it's it's gotten way better nowadays. Um, you get to play pretty much anywhere or anyone from anywhere. For most, for most games. For most games. I say, I say, I say that with an asterisk. So if this goes on YouTube, <laughs> put the big asterisk on my head. For most games. <laughs> for most games. So, for your most games, you said you are right now focusing on Grand Blue and Street Fighter V. Mm-hmm. How do you usually go about determining which games you want to focus on for commentary and just how you want to prioritize your time? I like that question a lot. Um, personally, I don't chase the jobs that pay like the most or what's super popular. I just got lucky with like Street Fighter because I happen to really enjoy Street Fighter to the fullest. I love the lore behind it. Uh, essentially, what I'm getting at is if I don't enjoy the game on a personal level, I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to work for it. Um, but with that said as well, I give a significant amount of chances to certain games uh until i reach a breaking point of saying um i don't have fun with this game uh i don't even enjoy watching it too much so i'm gonna uh, but it's like a it's a small it's a small margin when it comes to like not liking the game like as a, on, a, on a playing level and then not enjoying it on a on, on like and watching it because man fighting games are just so fun to watch in general now that i understand like i have a mind uh towards what's going on in certain fight it's really cool to see like high level play for every fighting game. So that's kind of tough. Um, but other games, like if I were to try to dabble in like CSGO or something, like sure, I like watching it, but I can't watch it for too long. Um, but um, yeah, I don't really like it too much. I tried playing it a couple times and it's mad hard. I, I just suck, but it's just a small example. Like if I just don't enjoy the game too much, uh, I'm not going to fake it. I'm really not. Um, so that's pretty much my criteria. Is like if I really enjoy the game, I like how it plays, and I'm really interested in it, I'm going to give it a shot, and we'll see where it goes from there. If I want to commentate it or not, right? And I think that's something that fighting games as a community really benefits from. Is there's so many great fighting games out there that players and commentators can really pick and choose the games that really fit their style and what they enjoy. People mm-hmm. aren't really forced into one specific game mm-hmm. in order to hit that top level. So yeah. Um, when you do choose a game, 
how do you usually go about hitting that next commentary level, like actually digging into it and understanding the more specific interactions and character matchups and all that kind of stuff that's important to break down on stream? Um, what I usually do on stream, um, so I stream, I stream on a daily basis. Uh, I stream fighting games a lot. Um, I actually, what I like doing is when a new game comes out, um, instead of just playing it just to play it, like enjoying the content of, uh, whatever is provided, like arcade mode, I go straight into the lab. I want to break down every single, um, what their moves are like, what their special moves are, um, try to find the data on it as much as possible. Uh, and by data, I mean frame data, the numbers behind it essentially where I would understand, or I would look up how fast a move would be, what properties it has, figure out its priority. Uh, and that really determines if it's a good or bad move. Then I formulate a game plan around those moves that they have. Uh, and what I usually do when I break it down is, um, I sit there for a while and it's very mundane, but I show the process of just pressing a, a, a button a couple times and seeing whether or not um, I can get away with a lot of things with it. Like if I can hit somebody and not get hit back, um, uh, if there's certain moves that beat out other moves in terms of like having invincible properties or something, just figuring out the little nuances of a character and seeing their general game plan. I think um, that's usually how I do it, honestly. That's like the best way to, to get started, honestly. Some people, they learn differently. For me, that's how I break down characters. It's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to just go into arcade mode or versus mode and just start trying to like beat up people and just press buttons. I would think that would work, you know, because that only builds bad habits for me. And it's like, it'll get this kind of, um, I, I, like, I take mental notes. It's like, all right, well, if I were playing this character, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, I see something that doesn't work. In my mind, I'll be like, okay, that doesn't work in certain scenarios. When I could be completely wrong because I just don't understand the properties. So I learned from my mistakes. I used to do that back then. I learned from it where I would make sure I sit in the lab and, and test the results over and over and over again and see what other avenues there are in terms of like, hey, is there any way this statement is wrong? Is there any way this theory could be proven differently or like, uh, yeah, proven or shown a different way, right? So, um Breaking down the characters is, is something I, I, I really want to do first when it comes to even talking about it on commentary. Because if you don't understand the character, you don't understand the mechanics, you're not going to be able to relay the information given at, a, at any level, really. If you don't understand the basic mechanics, you're not going to be able to, to, to be the mediator between what's going on in the gameplay and um, how to translate, translate that to the folks watching at home that aren't necessarily fully well-versed. They're trying to learn from you and the gameplay. So yeah, you're you're a very important medium to understanding what's going on in the game and how it's interpreted to the folks at home. Right, and I actually sat in a lot of your frame data streams when you were learning Ramblue because I, mm -hmm. I find that stuff very interesting. That's how my brain works. I like the numbers and knowing like this will beat this in this situation. But there are a lot of people who don't have the brain for that. They don't want to sit and memorize frame data. They don't want to sit and memorize how each interaction is going to play out. How do you go about coming up with ways to have that information be portrayed in a way that's digestible for people that maybe aren't as interested in that I'm glad hard you numbers? Asked that. So... There is a handful of people. When I was actually streaming um, the frame data stuff for Grand Blue, uh, the viewership wasn't as high. I had people asking questions, and those were like the diehard players too. 
Um, what's good about that, it's 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 better to get rid of that early, that phase of the game early, so that you have a solid um, a solid foundation of how you want to explain things to the people at home, right? So after that, what would happen is I take the knowledge I had from the training room and apply it to the real world. Uh, I apply it, or I guess to the ranked world, I would say. I would apply it to uh, gameplay and certain matchups, right? That's when I could be like, oh, okay, so I figured this out. In the Let me show you how it actually looks like, what the actual game plan is in uh, actual battle. Um, so again, it's the foundation to being able to talk about what you need to talk about for a character. So if people don't like seeing the numbers, they'll definitely like seeing the action because that's what they're there for in the first place. They want to see how it works out. And then you'll get those surprises where like, you'll get those people in chat where you hit something sick, right? Like a big ass combo, especially with like someone like Vasaraga and Grand Blue. They'll be like, yo, that works. I didn't know you could do a low medium and then cancel into the stomps and it'll connect for big damage. It's like, yeah, because if you looked at it in the training lab, what I was doing is there's enough time for you to cancel in that window to get the the stomps to connect. So um, if they don't like the frame data stuff, I just uh, make sure that uh, I know how to explain it thoroughly when it comes to the the in life or the the in game situations um, easier for them. So it's like it's it's a means to an end, really. Um, even if uh, it's it's very boring, it has to be done because. Say if I figured that out via like a video clip and I just started practicing it without really understanding it, I wouldn't know what to say. If somebody were to, were to ask me, yo, that combo was like was was super sick. How did you know that worked? I don't know. I just saw it on a YouTube video and I just copied it. Like that doesn't help anybody. You know, I don't know. That's how I feel about it at least. No, yeah. I I definitely think that's personally I think that's a good way to go about it. Because if we had commentators sitting on the desk saying I mean, I saw it on Twitter, so it must work. Then <laughs> no one, no one would be able to trust them. They'd just sit there and be like, "Well, the commentators don't know what's going on, so how am I going to yeah. figure out the game?" And with how popular the tournament streams have been getting, we definitely need that that helpful layer to get people that maybe don't play fighting games currently to kind of help guide them into it. Mm -hmm. And so, it's okay for, for stuff yeah. like that to happen, by the way. If if you saw it on Twitter, you're like, oh, I mean, I guess that works. But also, the best part about that is uh, being able to theorize the possibilities as to what led to that scenario. I think that's also very important. Like, um, there was one thing I saw about uh, Guile for, for Street Fighter V using his critical art. And an Akuma player was able to react and teleport behind the Guile player, but still get hit, right? If you didn't understand the mechanics of Street Fighter V, you would just say something like, oh, I saw it on Twitter. I guess it just works now. Uh, and that wouldn't really leave much. But if you understood the fundamentals or like if you understood the, the mechanics of the game and, and paid attention to the patch notes, you would be like, huh, I didn't know that happened. I saw it on Twitter once, but now I get it. I think what happened was, and then start to theorize with your co-commentator, start, put, start putting ideas out there to kind of spark the interest of the players. Like, huh, I never thought of it that way why did that happen maybe i could find some other exploits with other characters just like this then they would start doing critical arts with other characters and seeing which ones hit behind them or something you know what i'm saying so uh it's okay to, to actually have uh that instance happen where you see it on twitter and be like huh i don't know that would, that could happen let's kind of pause take a look again at what happened and try to uh break down to the folks at home what's really going on in these uh certain niche scenarios right 
yeah, I think that I think really breaking it down, the more you understand the game, the easier it is to explain it. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of that thing where like I've heard that when you teach someone something, you help understand it better yourself. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that can be really beneficial to commentators, especially like when they're streaming different things. Mm-hmm. So I think there's another side to like commentating and and kind of being in front of the audience on stream that people don't think about as much just because of how much time we spend focused on the actual matches mm-hmm. and that's hosting. So okay. you you've done some hosting work as well. Could you kind of talk about yes. how that differs from the normal commentary desk? Well, uh for the hosting gigs that I've been doing um for Red Bull and the Shadowverse shows, uh, on paper, it's the guy that's carrying the conversation. Um, it's it's taking the commentators and or casters uh, through topics at a time, transitioning the show. That's what it's like on paper. But what I do, actually, is there are certain instances where I have to um, talk about uh, certain games that I might not understand or just get the audience involved. Uh, and also get... My, my, my job also becomes like an interviewer essentially where i also have to ask questions for um for folks that are watching it like as as a spectator like what they would want to know about like the player given the scenario right so i mean uh from hosting it's it's a it's very similar skill sets in terms of being able to understand the situation uh and then figuring out what questions do i want to ask if i were um learning the game and or just a spectator um also trying to bring out the hype value in that like trying to figure out what's the um what's going to get a reaction out of both the players and the crowd too so um when it comes to hosting i i like to um ask very general like broad questions when it comes to like the games but then when it comes to like the players and interviews i make sure to do my research beforehand obviously about the game the scenario that they're in what the stakes are um so that kind of differs from like commentary right you're studying the game so much and you do study the players as well but you're not really asking those kind of questions with those players hosting is more like person to person whether it's you with the casters or you with the audience more so than the you with the game does that make sense yeah I think I think definitely makes sense in the fact that like you still need to be able to make that connection when you're mm-hmm. talking between what's happening and the other people that are involved. Mm-hmm. So when you are hosting and maybe you get put and you have to talk with someone that you don't know as much about or you're unfamiliar with, how do you mm-hmm. try to fill that knowledge gap so it doesn't really come across? Well, that makes sense. if it was, if there was a, if there were ever a time which I, which has happened where I got put on the spot about a player, um, well, here's here's the cheating answer. Here's the cheating answer. In every production that I've been on, there's always significant time to prep. Like, hey, you have to interview this out of nowhere. Um, that's happened a few times because there's so many moving pieces to a show that there might not be time to to, to radio in and be like, hey, we need vicious to do an interview real quick or whatever, or they'll do like an on the spot decision. And, um, if it comes to that, um, I'll at least, dude, I, I kid you not. I'll pull the guy aside and be like, Hey, what game do you <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then I just need that, really. I'll get their name, what game they play, then I'll just go right into it. What I ask is uh, very, like, like uh, certain questions where I would say, um, hey, this is so-and-so, give us, like, a small introduction of yourself. Um, so you're playing this, you're getting ready to play uh, in your in your pools or something, or you're playing, getting ready to play in, in this round. What are some of the challenges you feel like you're going to personally face when it comes to this? Very, very broad questions, right? I didn't ask any specifics about the games. I asked more about the the professional player mindset of what they're going through before a game starts because you don't really have to know the game to ask those kind of um because it's kind of relatable it's like they're they're getting ready for a certain situation i just want to know how they prep honestly um so i don't ever ask certain scenarios about the game until after i've seen them perform and then i can be like all right well now i have better questions to see or to go off of after i've seen how the game works and how they're performing right um that's that's happened a couple times with um with like with Shadowverse because it was like a, a deck I was unfamiliar with, but then I saw them I saw a person lose. So afterwards in an interview, I, was, I went to that player. I said, um, I noticed that there were a few things that kind of uh, were out of your control. Can you at least talk to us a little bit about what could have been done differently? You know what I'm saying? Like I'm spinning it around so that it's not necessarily showing my um, my green side of not knowing the game. But it's still catering to the audience that are both diehard fans and um, fans, just fans of the game in general, I should say, and then fans of the person as well. So it's not like anything too specific. It's still very, very broad uh, in the beginning. And then depending on how they do, then I, then I get very, very specific, right? Right. And so I actually have a little bit of a follow-up, more of your personal opinion on this. So I've seen some scattered discussion about adding more interviews of players in at fighting games tournaments either like before or after their matches mm -hmm. is that something that you think or that you would be in favor of or should we kind of keep respecting players after they just finished a game and they lost or are trying to get in the zone before a match i think interviews prior to the game the gameplay uh is something i would be behind honestly um but also it's it depends on the player if they need time to prep beforehand then i we have to respect those decisions um but with all things like considered say they have like their the prep done uh in the beginning i say i'm all for the interviews because i want to know what they have in their mind like going into the matchups um we're obviously not going to talk about the strategy um but when it comes to after the gameplay I'm only interviewing the winner, man. Uh, there's no way I'm gonna grab the guy who just lost his set in like probably the most heartbreaking fashion. You never know, right? Be like, hey man, come on over real quick. I got a question for you, bud. I know you just lost. Listen, that stuff sucked. I get it, but tell me about it. Relive it for me real quick. That's, that's asinine to me. I'm not gonna do that. Interviews are great, but pick and choose your spots with respect, uh, with the respect of the players um, and and what they're just be considerate, you know, just be be considerate um, of of what they're going through. Right. No, I I agree with you. I just wanted to bring the point up, but I think it just kind of stems from what we'll kind of get into in our next topic in traditional okay. sports, where players don't have a choice. Mm. They they lose the game, and oh, get on the booth. You're you're talking to the press. Oh yeah. Um. Oh, I've I've definitely seen that where they they can't even like cut the interviews, but they give very like short answers, like yes or no 
especially if it's like a yes or no question, they'll give very, very short answers. But um, I know that what's weird about that, like some of these players are, they're obviously like, in a sense, like influencers, right? They have a lot of eyes on them. Um, what they say carries weight. So they can't have this kind of demeanor of like, man, I don't talk about this right now and whatever. You can see it on their face and their their body language, but they still give like decent answers. Like, you know, they just played better than us today. We weren't really well prepared for the for what they had on defense. Um, I just feel like there's plenty more chances to get at them. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll have that weird kind of like look to them where they're just dead inside. Like, man, I don't want to. But I um that's a, that's a really tough question. That's a tough follow-up question because like I don't know how I feel about it. Um I still think you should give them their space. I think winner interviews are the way to go. Um, but if you do like a loser interview, maybe save it for the press conference, I guess. Not necessarily right when the moment happens. I say give them space. Right. And I think part of it's a culture thing too. Like that's just something that those players have had to deal with. And so they mm-hmm. don't they just deal with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's not really an option for them. And some of them it's in their contracts. So Oh no, I, I was just about to say, uh some are getting paid to do that. <laughs> um but oh, they I, I would imagine they get they get fined too if they didn't because they're it's it's like a TV slot, you know what I'm saying? time of the production where they have to do uh, an interview um i don't know what that's like for other esports though in terms of like the league of legends scene because i i've seen obviously they may like host a lot of like lcs stuff but she interviews a lot of the winners I've, i don't really recall too many interviews with a losing team and seeing that happen have you ever seen that happen no because i when i kind of first got it started watching esports stuff league was definitely the big one for me and mm-hmm. I don't really think they've ever focused on the losers. Maybe very rarely if they know yeah. if there's a player that is good with it. But most of the time they go to the winner because it's more exciting, honestly. Yeah. Because the, the winner's going to have more energy. They're either going to be very relieved or they're going to be very excited. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. That's why I'm, I, I've never really looked. I was dabbling. I got stuck in the YouTube vortex the other night. I was looking at the top 10 like hype esports moments or the top 10, like, BM, like, watching this, uh, and just watching them go through, like, these lists and lists of, like, esports moments. And there's not one time where I saw an interview with a losing team or a losing player. So it makes sense. Like, it makes sense to just, you know, go off of that energy and um, getting, like, more hype interviews off of that rather than going with the person who just lost probably the game of their life, right? Yeah. No, I definitely... I definitely think avoiding the losers, at least giving them some time, is a good idea. Yes. Um, yes. So, kind of continuing on, both of us have spent some time working in the traditional sports world as well. Yes. Uh, me in collegiate sports with my school. And do you just want to give like a brief overview of kind of your experiences? <laughs> well, actually, I, I want to know what, what you do for... Uh some of your collegiate sports too. Cause I know you, you, you told me a little bit of, but I, I wanted to hear it again, actually. Cause I wanted to make sure uh, what it is you do for them exactly. But of course I'm going to get my answer, but <laughs> I want right. to hear it. actually. Yeah. So I was a marketing intern for a year mm-hmm. with my uh, school's athletics department, uh, Iowa mm-hmm. state. 
And so I was put in charge of two of the sports, soccer and softball, and then okay. also had to help out with football and men's basketball. So we handled Sick. all of the production and stuff at events. So like the music, on-field promotions, uh, whatever else, like doing special senior night stuff or doing cool. sponsored giveaways, whatever at the game. Very cool. Gotcha. So I, I kind of handled all of that. And then we didn't help as much as football because that's a much larger event with yes. college football and the stadium. I did get a help at a college game day, which was a very cool experience working with ESPN. That's sick. Right. Yeah, it was a long day. <laughs> I think I started at <laughs> 3 in the morning. Jeez. I, so, I definitely feel on that, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's mostly what I did. It's a lot of marketing okay. and production stuff i see you i see you um when it came to sports i worked in the professional uh level of sports uh mostly for the nba uh nhl wnba um but it was never to that degree i was actually just a security guard i worked as a red coat for a good like four years i think just about four years it was a uh, pretty much how I got by through like college and saving up money for like competing in tournaments and whatnot. But it was like a gradual system where I worked from doing uh, the magnetometers at the door, making sure everything goes smoothly. People are coming into the venue, no funny business to the point where I was working on the event level and working directly into the hallways of the locker rooms and interacting with the coaches, staffs and players. Um, I did that for a good amount of years, uh, and it was an interesting experience, too, because I would also work on the courts or on the ice, not on the ice per se, but on the on the bench when it comes to, like, uh, the hockey events for um, Staples Center, to be specific. Um, I worked at Staples Center, and there are a few moments where I got to do, I don't know if you guys in the chat or Tanner yourself, when you watch a game, uh, a Laker game, Clipper game, there are those guys in the red coats that show up on the court and they have like this formation. I was one of those guys for a very, very, very long time. And we would never be able to watch the game. We'd always have to be like in, we have to have in our, the game. But if we get caught turning this way, your ass is off the bench. Like, yo, you're going back upstairs, bud. Um, but we would watch like the players, uh, we would watch, well, we would like be in line with the players, watch the crowds. But if you're in the hallways, you interacted with more of like the coaches and the staff to whatever they really needed, not like an assistant, but in like security means like, Hey, uh, open up these doors. We're gonna have the players coming in, open up these doors. We're gonna have reporters in a bit, check credentials, whatever, uh, that kind of interaction with sports, uh, for the most part. So that's, a, that's what I did for about like four years at Staples Center was uh, high-end security, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's actually something people don't really realize. When you work in sports, you spend very little time actually watching the games when you're working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. As a Laker fan, that sucked a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I think one thing that I was really interested in on your perspective was the differences between um, how like people interacted with the players and just kind of the atmosphere at traditional sporting events compared to esports. Man, people are crazy up in these uh, sporting <laughs> arenas. Man, whole yeah. different time, the whole different kind of crazy. Um, all jokes aside, though, 
the energy when it comes to uh, professional sporting events is some of the most intense feelings ever. Like, I would get there early, obviously, um, and see the players warming up. Um, the seats haven't even been filled yet. It's just an empty arena. Um, but as soon as, like, the game starts, you feel the pressure. Um, even as a security guard, it's like, dude, I got to do my best because there's so many people. I have to keep an eye out, man. I got to make sure none of these crazy folk try to get up in the, in the the from the stands up into the court, right? There's just this weird immense pressure of everybody like not even watching you, but just eyes towards you, man. It's 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 a weird it's a weird feeling. You're stepping out to the arena. I was like, yeah, like I'm about to go to work, kind of thing. It feels very very strange. It's kind of intimidating, but it's also a feeling that's like you're about to witness something great every single time, even if it's like a like a preseason game or something, like not even like a playoff game. It's like you're about to witness um, some of the best athletes duke it out on stage and there's something about that kind of presence in mind to to really kind of i don't know what the word i'm looking for as a professional speaker this is weird it's just weird like it keeps you grounded it's like yo this is really really cool like to to watch professionals do this uh and then you uh compare it to something like evo and it's a similar feeling like when i i was just talking to you about this earlier uh literally before we went live there's something about walking into like the Mandalay Bay and watching watching the finals or getting ready to watch the finals and you see everybody there. You walk into it you're like, dude, I'm a probably one of the greatest uh, instances of fighting game moments. Like one of the one of the greatest fighting game moments potentially. Right, I get to watch the top eight of any fighting game. Really, it's so captivating. Right, I'm not even like a player for like some for majority of those games. Like what, let's say last year, Grand Blue was now. Street Fighter Five was the only game I kind of dabbled with that in, like, Eunice. I would sit there and watch the other top eight because there's just something so, like, attractive about it. It's just compelling. It, it just forces you to stay. It's like, dude, you don't know what's going on in this game. Watching these top players at this stage with so much on the line, it's just like, dude, this energy is... It's addicting. It's like, you want to stay for it. It's crazy. No, yeah, I definitely... Well, on both sides, honestly, the traditional sports and esports, I can 100% agree that energy is just unbelievable. I can remember mm -hmm. the day that college game day was here at our school. I showed up mm -hmm. to work three in the morning, not a single person in the stadium. It was just me, at least in the actual arena. And the sun wasn't up and everything. And eight hours before kickoff, I could just feel like the momentum already building. And there wasn't a person around. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Then, on they the put other this side, weird scent in the air, man. They're uh -huh. like, yeah, breathe it in. <laughs> uh huh. I was not tired. Three in the morning would not have been able to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but then on the esports side, the first event I actually went to was League of Legends for mm -hmm. uh, the 2016 World Championship. I went right. to sh Chicago for the quarterfinals game. Okay. And that was just such a cool, that was my first experience. And only having been to, you know, Midwestern sporting events for a while, it was such a different atmosphere that I was hooked. I was hooked immediately. Like, the energy and the excitement that everyone had. The game was like a 3-0 sweep. It was not even close. And people still got super hyped. It was so much fun. That's what's up. <laughs> There's got to be a fan of somebody in that, <laughs> in that arena. Of course someone's going to get hyped, right? Oh, yeah. It's just, I think that excitement 
of competition is so contagious and so attracting to people. Yeah, I agree. Because you never get to really that's it's it's out of the ordinary. You're seeing, um, you're seeing a sport or something that interests you to that degree at probably the best level or the highest level, right? Um, that just attracts people. It's like I want to see how it's done by the pros, and it's kind of like influential. It's like, yo, I feel like I can do this, and then when it comes down to them actually doing it, it's like, damn, this stuff is hard. <laughs> For sure. And I think you talked about like Evo specifically. That whole Sunday of Evo is definitely something that, like, regardless of if you're a fighting games fan or not, if you're into esports, you need to go to Evo Sunday at least once. Yes. There's so many games. There's so many announcements that people get excited for. I remember this last year, I was sitting behind you and Sejam and Range when the Guilty Gear trailer <laughs> came on, and you guys lost it. And I was like, hmm. I think I need to play this game now. <laughs> yeah. That was uh that was definitely like Steven Ringe. I felt like the middle child at that <laughs> point because they were like grabbing me. I was just like, oh, here we go. Time to brace myself. Um, but I get it. I get the hype around it. And it's just so cool. Like it's 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 cool to see, you know, <sighs> trailers for any game or like announcements for any game is is really, really sick. As long as you enjoy the game, right? Like it's it's like you're getting a new version or extra content that's pretty cool some games don't even get that on a regular basis we get it almost like twice a year <laughs> minimum right the way things are fleshing out so i get it right no yeah and i mean some fighting games go they'll have updates and we'll have season passes every year but we'll go years mm -hmm. between each major title update mm -hmm. so i think that's such a big thing which kind of helps with fighting games in particular from the esports side that no other real esports or traditional sports have they don't get that excitement of learning new characters constantly and learning new game updates like mobas get new characters mm -hmm. but it doesn't take you know weeks for them to figure out each different interaction each how each move will work and how the character mm -hmm. will be in the tournament scene mm -hmm. I think it's just something that fighting games is very like we are constantly having updated games, updated patches, new characters that can completely shake up the tournament scene. Yes. Leroy. <laughs> Leroy. Six <laughs> six Leroy's in top eight. Oh no. Just to name a few. <laughs> <laughs> just a just a, a little bit. A little bit. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I think that's exactly what I said when they finalized top eight, six leaders. Just oh no, oh no, yeah. I think that was the the sigh heard around the world too. The players are so hyped too. They're like, yeah, I made top eight. Like I'm not taking away from them, but at the same time, it's like, damn, some something's in the water. If if you see some this kind of result, you know, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen something like that since like the Dark Ages of Street Fighter or Dark Ages of Fighting Games, like where games wouldn't get patched out. Um, you're you get what you get really, and then like every top eight would be like the same characters. Like for third strike, it'd be like four Yuns or no four Chuns, two Yuns, two Kens or something, you know. But it's primarily like Chun Li Ken Yen. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I haven't seen that in a long, very very long time. <laughs> right, and the funny thing was, it was still super exciting. It was still a blast to watch that mm. tournament. 
even though yeah. it was, for the most part, the same character fighting each other constantly. To be fair, Tekken is probably the best fighting game to watch, uh, if I were being honest. It's aesthetically pleasing. Um, the lore behind the players as well is is uh, very like deep-rooted in Tekken Legacy as well, because Tekken is just such a long-standing franchise. Um, and then there's so much new blood that's really like, kind of like stirring the pot too. So that's very interesting putting it all together. Like the game's super fun to watch. Um, there's certain players getting blown up by new guys. Um, that in itself is entertaining because it also shows the fact that, you know, new people can do just as good as uh, the people on stage. Like they could be seeing themselves up on that stage. Right. And I think, which is another great benefit of having games that constantly come out or are constantly being updated is every mm-hmm. time a new game comes out or every time a series gets a new installment we add to the player base mm-hmm. and some new player gets brought in so i think that actually just brings another question to my mind just now you talked mm-hmm. about player storylines mm-hmm. and how important those are how do you view like focusing on player storylines when you're commentating compared to just like the matchup and the characters and what's going on? Well, like Professor Oak said in Pokemon Red and Blue, there's a time and place for everything. Um, your bike inside a building. Um, <laughs> honestly, when it comes to like talking about the player lore, uh, going into the matchup, that is the uh, preface to the actual match. There's always like a certain structure when it comes to commentaries. Like we want to talk about, uh, if we can, we'll talk about the upcoming players going head to head, the lore behind it, um, filling in the players with a brief synopsis of what's been happening in the tour. Uh, uh, player X lost to player Y in a heartbreaking set at Evo. Um, but player X has been going on a, on a, on a rampage events afterwards. And they finally meet here again at Capcom cup. Um, I wonder what player Y has been doing because he's been taking a break. He's been eating tons of Korean barbecue, um, but he still looks as strong as ever, seeing as as he's in this position right now here at Cap. You know what I'm saying? All right, let's talk about the matchup. Boom! It's it's a transition from from uh, the you're you're talking about. It's like um, if you ever see like a UFC, they would play the trailer of of both players or whatever. They're talking about the stories, what they did to get here. Then they have like Joe Rogan talking with the other uh, commentators about what's about to happen with their uh, their record if they go forward with their fight, um, what's going to happen between these two, like if there's like bad blood. And then it comes down to the actual match itself and they're just talking about the match. Like there's like, always like that kind of structure. And then afterwards, um, that's when you kind of uh, briefly touch up on the story again. It's like, oh, it's been a long time coming, but Player X finally gets his revenge. Player Y shouldn't have been eating all that bulgogi. Uh, it really cut into his diet and his mentality. So, you know, he's going to be uh, sending his ass home. You know, stuff like that. Um, just having the, the, the structure, the time and place for everything and understanding when to utilize certain knowledge and when to cut to the action so that you're not taken away from the viewer's experience. Right. And yeah, I think, I think that totally makes sense. And especially as we add new players every year, like I think if you would have told people even a year or two years ago that by the end of 2019, Pakistan would be one of the leading regions mm-hmm. in Tekken 7, people would have been like, 
I've never even heard of a player from Pakistan. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And now we have Arslan Ash winning esports player of the year. Hell and, yeah. And well deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, GG signing multiple players from Pakistan, and now they were able to travel, and they forced everyone to step up to that next level, mm-hmm. which was super cool. So I think we have hit everything, and we're out of time at this point. Are you kidding me? We have yeah, we just started. <laughs> <laughs> we've been going for we've almost hit an hour. Part. No, yeah. all right, well, we're going to do a bonus here. We're going to extend it by another hour, uh, full streamer <laughs> hours. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm, not the, I'm not the guy leading the show here. <laughs> hey, man, if you got something else, we can, we can talk about it. Play Marvel 2. It's a good game. <laughs> Bro, I've been stuck on Marvel 2 because of Brian F. You tell your guy, Brian F. He's, he's started another epidemic, and it's not, you know, Stay in quarantine. He started the uh, the Iron Man event. Him and Sagem, by the way. I don't know if you guys have been, for those in the chat that have been tuning into all the stuff on social media for fighting games, but this Iron Man Infinite thing, everybody's got everybody's got their arm their arms up and about about it. Uh, light punch. <laughs> light punch. It's 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 addicting, man. Trying to do it and watching other people do it and fail miserably is hilarious. Uh, I fail miserably in that in that game trying to do it as well, but it's just there's something about it. Something about that game that's just like I wanna I see a cool combo, I wanna do it, especially in Marvel. Dude three and a half hours trying to do the Magneto Romfinite. Oh and I still couldn't get it. But it was it didn't feel like three hours. In fact, I had to leave for dinner that same evening and I was like, I don't wanna go. I wanna keep doing this. It was so bad. I just wanted to keep pressing buttons. And I did that afterwards. After I came back, I went into a Discord call with like Sajam and them. And I was just, I was, I was going through it. I finally actually killed a full character doing the Romfinite for the first time ever in 10 years. Hey, 10, there we no, go. 20 years, because the game's <laughs> up for, for 20 years. Oh, yeah. My first time actually landing the Romfinite. And it's like, close that chapter. Close that chapter. <laughs> I'm so happy. We're going to bring Marvel back Damn. because of that. <laughs> Brian and Sage, I'm bringing Marvel back. Yeah, well, dude. I had, I, th- I had a great idea about that, too, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> I think that's actually, like, really important, because right now, we don't have tournaments. <laughs> so with, with people making content like that, like, unique content and unique stuff that gets mm-hmm. people engaged, I think that's a lot of what we need in fighting games to help fill yeah. that gap. Oh, absolutely, man. Now is a great time to be a streamer. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's been saying, oh, what else are we gonna do, man? Like, this is fine. Me and Tasty C were talking about this the other day. We were meant for this quarantine. <laughs> All we do is stay home, play video games, watch anime, and chill out. Like this is this is fine. It's fine for me. Uh besides like not being able to eat as much or at least go out to eat. I mean, they still do takeout, you know? Yeah. You'll be all right. You just gotta find a game to play, gotta find a streamer to watch. Shit, just chill. <laughs> Practice social distancing, okay? Yeah. Yes. Wash your hands. Everyone, oh, wash sure. your hands, social distance. Don't touch your eyes. <laughs> Don't touch your mouth. I gotta wash my hands after this, actually. I kept, like, rubbing my nose. Damn allergies. I'm not I swear. I drink Corona, but I don't have the virus. <laughs> There's the difference. It's important. <laughs> Dude, all that stuff is 50% off. Wow, these guys are crazy. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy times. 
but I do appreciate you having me on the show too. Um, and, and putting out content like that. I, I know this is what the second episode and this is relatively new. Um, but it's good to see Equinox stepping up in terms of uh, content creation, um, putting players on the map as well as streamers. I was watching um, Anne not too long ago. I was uh, watching her play, I forgot what MMO it was, but I was like, oh, you guys have a full-on roster over at Equinox. Yeah. Yeah, uh, BDO, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Guys are online, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on. We always got something in the works. Good. So it's very very cool. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? Um, I'm very very easy to find uh, at viciousfgc on all social media platforms: Instagram, Twitter. I do not have a Facebook, uh, Twitch, and that's pretty much it. You can also find that name on uh, multiple fighting games as well as Call of Duty, because I've been playing a ton of that lately, and it's ruined my sleep schedule. Yeah, I think, I think that's kind of hit me, too. <laughs> my friends are like, oh, you want to play around? Nope. All right, get on. And then I'm up till 3 a.m. Bro, <laughs> I was... I started playing... So I was doing, like, Romfinets till, like, 2 a.m., and I was, um, I was playing with, like, Hanzo Gonzo and Elder, uh, two folks over at the uh, D&D show that we do with Sejam. Um, we also just like hang out and play games uh, with each other on a pretty daily basis. Like with that, that entire group, right? And dude, I kid you not, we played like a handful of games and it was already like 4am. I was like, oh, yeah. you have got to be kidding me. And then I was just like, I wasn't satisfied. I kind of want to play a little bit more. I was like, let me play like two more games. It ended up being like 8am. 8.30. Yep. I went to sleep at like it was so stupid. Yeah, that sounds so about right. True DGen hours, bro. Yeah. If you guys aren't watching Magic Pixel, make sure that you're watching Magic Pixel. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's... We're so dumb. We're such a <laughs> dumb group of individuals that we shouldn't even be playing as a cohesive unit in D&D. If there was, like, a one-shot where we all met up with each other and started battling, that would make sense, but <laughs> never as a cohesive unit. We're so, like... We're not even like-minded at all in any sense. Maybe in like commentary and fighting games, but as personalities and just like people in general, we have such weird ways of thinking. And it's so funny to see our DM try to put us all together. So I feel bad for Ringe because he's the mastermind behind everything and tries to like make all the stories mesh because like that's the kind of responsibilities of like a DM to make the story kind of work while also challenging the uh, adventures. Um, but we're just, we're just, we make some of the dumbest decisions, man. It's so funny. It's, yeah, but it makes we, it so we, much more entertaining. Yeah, it sure does, man. We've played. I've at least I've played uh, two different campaigns with them. It, it never uh, finished in its entirety because I can't. I make bad decisions. Uh, but I've done uh, uh, one shots with. Well, we've actually survived. We did like a, a one shot fighting game one where uh, Santa G took over the world. I don't know if you ever watched like Futurama with like uh, uh, Robot Santa. Yeah. Like, he's trying to, like, you know, dominate the world. It's the same concept, right? G has, like, the world under his control. He actually defeats Shadaloo and, like, inherits the company and now is just, like, wreaking havoc. I played as... My character was... Uh, I played Yun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, say, I forgot who Seijam was playing. And Hanzo was in it, too. It was really, really funny. Or uh, Tanman was in it as well. I can't remember the full rock, but it was, it was so silly. It was actually so silly. Oh man. So yeah, 
check out Magic Pixel. Follow Vicious on all of his social media platforms. And follow Equinox for more updates on episode three of the Equinox podcast.